You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back to the Oz Network for day number four of Oscar Best Picture nominated films series, leading all the way up to the 92nd Academy Awards. Uh, it is still the 92nd, isn't it? I, I think so. Yes. Oh, I, yeah. I, I wasn't sure because I figured maybe in going through the Irishman, we'd skip the 92nd and we we're coming up to the 93rd. But Oh, sorry. Hang on. 97th. Oh, wow. We're in 97th Academy Awards. Wow. Oh, best Picture nomination, Star Wars Episode 11. Uh, <laughs> the Ryan Johnson Revenge. <laughs> uh, but we are here to talk about uh, Jojo Rabbit, uh, one of the unique movies this year. Uh, a movie full of feel-good fun, proving that even children can have an imaginary friend named Adolf Hitler, and it'll be funny to all. Uh, <laughs> there's nothing funny about Nazism, unless it's a child. Uh, my name is Colin, and it's definitely not a good day to be a Nazi. And my name is Ben, and sure, I'm a little bit scrawny, a bit unpopular, I can't tie my shoelaces, I'm only 10 years old, but I'm still the bestest, most loyal little Nazi I've ever met. Oh, he's been telling himself that for the last 20 years. Good job, Ben. I know. I know, ever since I joined Hitler Youth as a 12-year-old. <laughs> uh, Jojo Rabbit, this movie, it seems like this has been, despite being maybe one of the smaller movies uh, and arguably one of the lesser-known ones now, the Best Picture nominees, it feels like this is one that there was so much hype behind for months leading up to this. Uh, and that's just here in North America. I can't imagine what it was like there in New Zealand. You know, obviously, uh, uh, let's let's butcher his name here. Ta- Taika Waititi. Villanueva uh, <laughs> or no, Fukunaga. Not, no, not even Villanueva. He got fired, didn't he? Fukunaga. Taika Waititi. Big deal over there in New Zealand where you're currently residing until you get fired and deported from the country. Uh, for pronouncy comments that you just made on the air <laughs> that we'll surely make our best of. Uh, this movie, uh, obviously, I'm guessing it's a huge deal over there as well. And, uh, you know, we, we talked, I guess, briefly at the end of the last episode, and you said, like, you know, it was an okay movie. Uh, before we even get into our opinions on the movie, I have to know about, like, what the hype has been about uh, for Jojo Rabbit over in Australia, or not Australia, <laughs> <laughs> the new country, New Zealand, soon to be the old country. Well, uh, well, I can ask. I can just quickly duck over to Australia and find out if you want. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, it, this was huge over here. And I think this actually was released quite um, a lot earlier than the rest of the world because we had this months ago. And uh, from what I can see, it's only been released. I think it was only been advertised in Australia when I was back there over Christmas. So, um, yeah, this this got a lot of hype. And from, yeah, I've only lived here for a little over a year, but Taika Waititi... He's a big deal over here, and um, rightfully so, because I think, you know, we talked a little bit about him at the end of last episode, and uh, Hunt for the Wilder People is just one of those unique gems of a movie which I think everybody should go and see, and you can clearly see why that led him to doing, you know, Thor Ragnarok and kind of has started to really get a, a high reputation in Hollywood. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of stuff around this movie. Um, I was so close to going to see it at the cinemas. Um, you know, every week we're like, let's go see it, let's go see it. And we never ended up going to see it. But, um, yeah, no, the definite, definite hype. And, and like, it's always, it's kind of that way in Australia around Oscar time. Cause there's always generally one or two Australians who are nominated. 
if the actors aren't nominated, there's a costume designer or a set designer or someone who's nominated. I can't remember the last time there was a year where an Austra- well, at least one Australian wasn't nominated. And it was very similar here because, um, you know, a lot was said about Taika Waititi and the nominations that he got. Uh, but then the um, the writer of the, I think it's the Two Popes, is a Kiwi. I think it's uh, Anthony Mc mccartan maybe i don't know that can't be right i didn't know it is it is a anthony mccartan is a kiwi uh the writer of the 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 two popes so there you go um so i knew there was at least another kiwi so yeah lots of news whenever there's oscars and about the nominations similar here to australia but no they love their taika watiti i feel like i'm saying his name correctly for once so i'm proud of myself taika watiti watiti um but, I mean, this is a totally unique movie. I think that's what I uh, appreciate about it. Um, you know, it, it's it, it goes places in the first 10 minutes that you wouldn't think a movie would go, and yet somehow it, it manages to still maintain its family friendliness, which just seems weird. You know, not to say this is a movie that you should necessarily show like a five-year-old, but I feel like this movie is perfectly acceptable for kids. You know, it's about kids, I guess, uh, but it's sort of just – making fun and having a little bit of satire with you know the last days of uh of of hitler's nazi rule and um it, it reminded me a lot of um a movie another german movie that came out maybe about 15 years ago called goodbye lenin which was uh the breakthrough movie for daniel Bruhl back when he was you know just making german films and uh that one was sort of about you know his his mother had uh been in a coma for decades and when she comes out of the coma, she doesn't realize that the Berlin Wall has fallen. And so he has to maintain this appearance of, uh, you know, oh, everything's the same as before, you know. And, uh, you know, has to make his fake newscasts and everything. You know, it's a completely different type of story. But just some of the idea about just having a little bit of fun with, you know, this it, what should be inappropriate subject matter. But in a way, this movie doesn't come across as offensive in, in any way. Yeah. And which is interesting you say that because... I've seen a lot of negative reviews about this movie saying that it is offensive and you shouldn't be making fun of this. <laughs> so, but I guess at the end of the day, that's probably the era we live in. That's the age. I mean, we, we saw that with Green Book, didn't we, last year? That everybody seemed to mm-hmm. take it a certain way because it's like, this movie should be tackling racism more than it should be. Um, and it's, I find that just an interesting way to react to a movie because I think you're absolutely right. This is just showing that you can take something and just kind of look at it a little bit differently and yeah, almost very innocently through the eyes of a child and yeah, that child's a Nazi, but I mean, it's just, it is just such a unique movie. I think it just, it works. I mean, again, as I said yesterday and I'll say it again today, it maybe wasn't as good as I was hoping it to be. So I probably went mm-hmm. into this as higher expectations, but it, I still enjoy this film. I still think it's an enjoyable movie that definitely leaves its own unique mark on the Oscars. So um, yeah, no, I, it's it's a it's a fascinating film that you can take something so dark and kind of you actually leave the movie smiling. Hmm. <laughs> uh- <laughs> Which I mean, the first time I've ever seen a movie about. Nazis and smiles. <laughs> I mean, I feel we're just digging ourselves in a hole for the people who hate this already. Inglourious, oh, it just brought a smile to my face. Inglourious Bastards had a bit of a smile. I mean, Hitler did get his head blown off. Um, <laughs> but had Nazis in it. So, you know. 
Well, I mean, I think this is different, too. I mean, it's not just a satire as in, like, let's make jokes about Hitler. I mean, you said exactly, uh, you know, what the movie is, and that's it's told from the point of view of a child. And I think that would be the biggest difference. If this were told from the point of view of an adult, it would be totally different. But you're seeing, you know, this world, the Hitler youth and Hitler himself and the Nazis and, and uh, you know, the Holocaust from the point of view of a child. But you also have to remember, it's from the point of view of a child who's been brainwashed along with everybody else in the country. I mean, I, I don't think that people should be so offended that they, they forget the fact that these people were literally brainwashed. And I, one of the most clever things about this movie is just the uh, the lack of information. You see how the, the media would control. And this is exactly the way it was. You know, they would just release stories and, and and tell people you know that jewish people were the devil and jewish people were this and that and it gets so elaborate here where you know these children are being forced to believe that you know they have hidden horns on their head and tails like you know serpents and you know all this ridiculous stuff and you, you think like okay well that's completely absurd and maybe you know they didn't go that far but I'm sure that you know, with a lack of information and being cut off from you know uh this different culture that some of these conclusions is what children would come to to think like, oh, do you sleep upside down like a bat? And the movie goes there. And at times it's funny, but I actually find that um, the funniest stuff in the movie is just observing, you know, uh, I guess this is where it would fall more in the satire category, just observing how the adults actually train these kids like the early scenes. I think I'm kind of with you in that it wasn't as you know, incredible as I was hoping it would be because it sort of loses me a little bit in the middle. But the opening stuff where you have Sam Rockwell as this, you know, fallen soldier, I guess, whose only job he can get is to train the Hitler youth. And he's going to such extreme saying, here's your grenade, kids, and here's your knife. And uh, and he's, you know, shooting things all over the place around children. And, uh, you know, you get Rebel Wilson in there, you know, later on handing out guns to kids. And those things like genuinely made me laugh out loud. But then kind of in the middle, not through no fault of the movie, it, uh, it 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 tells kind of a, a nice story about this boy and you know his mother has hidden this Jewish girl in the house. He finds her, and it starts with him just you know believing that this, they're exactly what the Nazis have told them they are, and she's playing up on this and saying, "Oh yeah, we totally do sleep upside down like that," you know, and she's having fun with him. But it becomes such a nice story. But at the same time, that's where it kind of loses the humor a little bit for me. And it almost felt a little bit unbalanced at times. Like I was totally with it for the first 15, 20 minutes when it was just flat out ridiculous satire. And I was still with it in the middle section it was just this story about this boy and this girl getting to know each other and kind of, you know, uh, I guess him losing some of his prejudices. But in a way, it almost felt like two separate movies that weren't quite connected the right way. And, and that makes me wonder that you know, was their studio influence in it? Because I think the thing, at least from the one non-big studio film of Taika Waititi's I've seen in Hunt for Wilder People, is that, you know, he does have that very unique style. It definitely is, he's a filmmaker that you can feel his presence in a movie. And, you know, Hunt for Wilder People kind of maintains what this does at the opening the whole time. And it just, it doesn't get in bland. You're just with it the whole way. And I'm with you. I think exactly what you said is correct. And that's maybe why it doesn't hold up to the standards I was thinking. And I just, I just wonder if, given that now he's kind of, you know, getting the ability to make movies in Hollywood more so than just in New Zealand, is this meaning that he's got a bit more studio influence? I don't know. I haven't really sort of read anything about that. But um, just one quick thing you sort of said about um, 
kind of the story and everything. And, and through the, the positive reviews that I've heard about people who have kind of seen these ones who are saying like, oh, you know, this is a bad film to make fun of or because of bad subject matter. Uh, I think Taika Waititi has even come out and said that like, this is kind of a, a feel good movie in the fact that you can take such a terrible subject and kind of have good come from it, you know, and that, you know, it's showing that there's mm-hmm. that sort of good coming through evil that you can ultimately have because, you know, it's, you summed it up perfectly as well. It's, it's a contextual film that you've got to remember that someone, you know, in Jojo's position in 1945 Germany, he's going to believe that because as you said, they were brainwashed. And I think it's, and he's a child. And he's a ch- I mean, what is he? 10 or something like that? 11, Ten. something like that. Like, we think about how you grew up or how I grew up in in our lives in you and Canada in Australia like no we don't have a dictatorship who was telling us that Jewish people have horns and hang upside down like bats but we're still grown up in a certain way and styled in a certain manner because again you're children you believe those around you you believe people who are in control and that's what you do and that's what the Nazis did to their country and that's what Hitler did. He mm-hmm. he had all the propaganda. He he made their people believe all these, you know, terrible lies. And that's how he would have been. And sure, there's a bit of a humor, humorous take to a lot of it. But sadly, that's how it would be. And at the end of the day, you know, this, this movie is trying to say that, look, you can be filled with hate, but you can come out not feeling that and you can kind of change your mind. And I think that's a positive message that comes out of this movie. It's mm-hmm. just done in a... A very unique way so um yeah it's it's just it, it is one of these movies that is just like okay yep you know it wasn't terrible it wasn't what i was thinking it would be mm-hmm. but it was it was still pretty decent and like that really outrageous comedy that he has in the beginning of the movie like that's what i like best and i think it gets it back especially right at the end during the battle of berlin where you're just seeing these these absurd things like uh two kids here carrying like a missile launcher and it accidentally <laughs> goes off and uh like early in the movie i think this is where you know often you watch a movie like this and you can really put your finger on okay i see what they did here when we get to 1917 we'll talk about i really see what they did here and here i i can't really figure out how he pulls off some of this humor i think this is where i'm almost upset that the tequitini didn't get a best director nomination because the way the humor is played like within five minutes of the movie i'm watching them train these children and I'm like, wouldn't it kind of be funny if one of these kids stabs another kid or something like that? And not to spoil anything, but there is a stabbing that happens right away, and it actually really makes you laugh, and this is children. And it's just – it has this perfect balance where you're you're laughing, but it's not – it doesn't feel inappropriate. It's still, This is why I said it almost feels like this is a movie, at least if you're 10 years old, you could probably still watch and get some enjoyment out of. I mean, like, again, I always keep referring to the Humphrey Rule people, but – I think kind of that has a lot of stuff around that too, because I mean, the subject matter kind of at the end of the day, it involves a kid sort of running away in the forest and basically the cops chasing after Sam Neill, who is perceived as a pedophile and has kidnapped this kid and is taking him into the bush. And that's not what he's done, but it's just kind of, that's just a perception. You have these like cops going after them thinking they're chasing after like a murderous pedophile. Um, and you've got this sort of kid who's had a fucked up life who's snuck into the jungle and all Sam Newell is trying to do is actually help him. So, you know, it's kind of, it's just, yeah, I I would have loved to have seen him get a Best Director nomination uh, because, you know, I, I think it's just, it's so unique. Again, I keep saying that word, but 
It, it really is. And yeah, some of that stuff in the beginning with all, all that, you know, the knife bit and uh, that battle at the end, like, this is the first movie I've ever seen. Actually, not even the first movie. The first thing I've ever seen Rebel Wilson in. And I've actually legitimately laughed at a couple of things she's done. Um, like, there's a moment in that battle at the end where, well, doesn't she, like, give a grenade to a kid and just pull the pin? And it's like, you're now a general. Quick, run after them or something like that. Yeah, I think it's like, go give that American over there a big Oh, hug. that's it. That's it. <laughs> And there was something else she said at the very beginning where I was like, oh, okay, well, yep, I've, I've laughed at something Rebel Wilson said. You know, it's 2020, <laughs> times are changing. Um, so, but yeah, there are definitely moments like that. But yeah, the middle, you, you know, like, it's just odd some of the stuff in the middle because that also, I guess, brings it into uh, a nomination that came for Scarlett Johansson. Please tell me I'm not the only one who is questioning why she got a nomination for this movie. Um... I'm not questioning why I'm questioning whether this is deserving of like the top five of the year, because we talked about marriage story, you know, how impressed I was that I felt for the first time ever, she wasn't just playing herself. And I've seen her in comedies before. Um, You know, there was the one Coen brothers movie she did hail Caesar, but yet to me, she still just felt like she was playing Scarlett Johansson. And here, I think that there's at least something interesting and funny about the character where she gets to do some really outrageous things that, you know, felt like she was at least stepping outside of her comfort zone. But um, if I'm going to compare this to Marriage Story, I mean, this doesn't even come close. And maybe you'd sort of set up like she's in the movie for like five, ten minutes. But I think where it actually helps the movie is that that all of her screen time's crammed into just the first half of the movie, and then you know after that they sort of forget. And that goes with a lot of the characters in the movie. I and mean, we see a lot of Sam Rockwell and Rebel Wilson early on, and they just dis- disappear to the end. But because when you have performances like that, where it's just really strong and you know um really uh prominent early on and then they just get forgotten in the movie those are the times where i do kind of question did this performance leave that much of a lasting impact like when anne hathaway got nominated or won for lame is you know and she's literally only in the first 20 minutes of the movie that movie's two and a half hours long like uh, I, I feel like you almost forget her by the end of the movie just because she, all of her stuff is is so prominent early on. I'm very glad I didn't. Uh, we didn't do Oscar uh, month that year because I don't know how I would have been able to get through <laughs> Lay Miserables. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, there's definitely one scene where she's great in. There's there's one sort of dinner table sequence where she's kind of you know alternating between two characters almost, and I think like that was really yeah. good. But the rest of it, I just I just didn't see it. I think, and also. You know, looking at some of the other uh, roles that we've had, supporting roles. I mean, look, I, I would say that, um, and I can't, I cannot for the life of me remember a name. Um, Christian Bale's wife in Ford v Ferrari, much more deserving. Um, in um, Parasite, any of the the women in that movie, more deserving than Scarlett Johansson. Um, and for a little role she had in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I would always go out and live and say Margot Robbie was better. And she just kind of looked at the screen and tell people to look at her. <laughs> um, so I know she didn't and, uh, get nominated in this category, but I mean, it's, you know, she could have been nominated twice, go up against herself. Why not? Can we just be happy that uh, we have Scarlett Johansson instead of just another Meryl Streep performance uh, for about two minutes in Little Women? I you were about to say, uh, better than another one of the Little Women. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and where's the Best Supporting Actress nomination for 1917? Like, I feel like the women are just ignoring that movie. <laughs> well. <laughs> oh, one of them. <laughs> Was there only one in that movie? <laughs> Uh, unless the baby counts as another, she we'll get to French. that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, like a couple of the small actors in here, like um, I think this is also the strength of Taika Waititi that he, because we talked about the cast for this, and I was saying like, oh, I knew Sam Rockwell would be in this, but then I saw like Alfie Allen, who's one of my favorites on probably my favorite on Game of Thrones, and he was also in John Wick, and Stephen Merchant, who uh, is you know Ricky Gervais's collaborator, who plays like the seven foot tall investigator who comes into the house, like. They, they can be on screen for only two minutes and make an impression. So I think that's where I would make an argument for, okay, I understand Scarlett Johansson getting nominated because even though Stephen Merchant and Sam Rockwell are only in this movie, you know, for probably the same amount, if not less, in the case of Stephen Merchant, much less screen time than Scarlett Johansson. When they were on screen, I was thinking like, oh, like, of course, I hadn't seen the end of the movie yet. So I didn't know if they would come back. I'm like, oh, man, I would totally nominate this performance. But then they're just gone. So I guess a bigger role in a movie where it's really two characters is one boy and one girl. Yeah. Um, it is great how we can do that with the actors. Um, I mean, I, I knew you were going to really like Sam Rockwell because I know you're a Sam Rockwell fan. Well, I'm a Sam Rockwell fan. I'm just not just you. Um and look, I, I definitely, uh, Stephen Merchant, until I actually looked at a picture of him and I was kind of like, I, I just didn't know his name, but I know exactly who you're talking about. Uh, I'm not really familiar with Alfie Allen, but um, again, I haven't seen Game of Thrones. So uh, He doesn't speak this movie either. We should also say he's got a, a brilliantly hilarious silent performance. It's, yeah, I just, he's just such a talented director who can get the most out of people. Um, because I think, that was clear with, um, oh, what's the little kid's name in, um, Julian Dennison, who, you know, sort of became such a big deal after Hunt for the Wilder People that, you know, he was then cast in Deadpool 2, and he's probably the worst thing about Deadpool 2. You know, he just didn't, like, he had potential, but I just think his character was pretty rubbish in that movie. But you see him in Hunt for the Wilder People, and you can see why he was cast, because he's just brilliant in that type of movie. Uh, and then, you know, Sam Neill, like, what can you say about Sam Neill? He's brilliant. Um, we know Sam Neill's brilliant, but he's just kind of different. Like, I'm talking so much about, we, we, we need to do this movie, Colin. Like, we really need to do Hunt. You will love Hunt for the Wilder People. But it's even like, think about Thor Ragnarok. I mean, you know, Chris Hemsworth probably gave the performance of his life out of all the uh, the Marvel movies, just because it really suited his comedic style. Um, the main, what's the main girl in Thor Ragnarok who was... Kate Blanchett. Not Kate Blanchett. Well, I know who Kate Blanchett is. Um, the um, the, <laughs> the other one who was in Men in Black with Chris Hemsworth. Oh, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Valk- Valkyrie's the character. Yeah. I can't you remember know I'm the talking name. She's also in the creep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she was great in Ragnarok and not that great in Men in Black. So, I mean, it's kind of just, yeah. Taika Waititi does, does get his, the most out of his actors. And I love both of the kids. Well, I guess I should say all three kids because there's the girl, the Jewish girl that's, you know, hidden in the home. And then there's Jojo. And then there is Friend, which this kid was just <laughs> brilliant. Oh, the moment. What's uh, his name? Yorkie? Uh, uh, yeah, Yorkie. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking it was Yogi. What, what is that? Uh, the, the What they call the uh, Koskoff's uh, uh, Yor- alternate Yogi. Yogi, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. <laughs> the whole time, hey, he's gonna grow up to be Koskov. Let me daylight. But uh, there's just a moment where, where this kid's delivery is so good. Uh, right during the Battle of Berlin, and JoJo's basically talking about, you know, uh, oh, there's this Jiro girl. She's pretty much a girlfriend, and they're in the middle of this battle. Like, good for you, JoJo, a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I want to see this kid in more. Like, put him in the next Deadpool movie. Yeah, he's great. And, I mean, like, even even the main guy, uh, what's his name? Roman Griffin Davis. I believe this is his very first yeah. acting role. Like, this is, I think he... Are you serious? Yeah, I looked him up afterwards, and I believe he just auditioned for this, and this was his very first acting role. 
and that makes me like him even more. I think this kid was great. And you, you know generally that I, you know, your hatred of the old people in movies and mine's generally of children. Um, but, like, the, I can't dislike anything that uh, he does. I, yeah, I, I think the children do great. And, and he, even, even, the, even the girl, like, uh, I think what, what she does really well, mm. and I'm not just going to calling her the girl. She does have a name. Her name is Tomasin McKenzie, uh, who's actually a Kiwi. Um, and she's actually... Uh, she she plays what is she meant to be like fourteen in this movie I think, um, but I mean she's she's actually turning twenty this year so I think that she's one of these sort of older actresses who really plays that younger child because you think she's fourteen there's mm. no way that you can actually I had to look her up and I was like wow okay she's actually twenty that's crazy but um yeah I think all the child actors in this movie are really good even the sort of the extras and everything that come in the the Hitler youth camp at the beginning and all that sort of stuff too this is definitely not a movie where it's just dis- you're distracted by bad child actors. I think it's been very well cast. Mm-hmm. And we also have to add. I mean, the only one we haven't talked about is Taika Waititi himself, ah, who's yes. playing Hitler <laughs> as an imaginary friend. So good. <laughs> and like, it's exactly what you expect it to be. It's not just him, you know, playing some exaggerated version of Hitler. It is the imaginary friend of Jojo that happens to be Adolf Hitler. Uh, and I know that he's done some acting, you know, himself, and uh, he even did some what voiceover work in Thor Ragnarok for one of the characters. But I, I had no idea he was this good. I, I mean, another one that if you want to throw out there a possible supporting actor nomination, like probably the only reason that he didn't get one is because he was the director, but just fantastic in this movie. And the way that he can make Hitler almost a lovable character. Now I'm seeing why people are angry at this movie. He made Hitler such a lovable character. Uh, but again, this is all in the imagination of a kid. This, the way the kid is imagining Hitler. And there are times where he kind of goes really dark, even as the imaginary friend, but it's yeah, I don't think that this movie. I think that the movie would work if it was just you know uh, this satire of the Hitler Youth combined with this friendship story of you know this Hitler Youth boy and this uh, you know Jewish girl in hiding. But adding in there the extra layer of Hitler as an imaginary friend with Taika Waititi just going all out there. I mean, it, th- that's some of the other stuff that really elevates this movie. And another problem I think I have with the middle section, which again, there's nothing wrong with the middle section on its own. It just feels different movie it, it loses some of the humor it, it's very nice it's very you know heartfelt but they pretty much write hitler out as a character at that point too and then when he comes back in like i feel like the movie suddenly comes alive again yeah no i agree and look yeah taika watiti no no this is just a taika watiti love episode so it should be i'm um, not not only is he a great director but like yeah he's <laughs> he's brilliant as an actor and yeah the hitler stuff was always the stuff that i probably look forward to the most because it was just so over the top and funny, like it should be. Like, if you're going to have a movie that's kind of satirizing Nazis and Germany and, and Hitler, like, you need to have this just outlandish, very camp Hitler. Um, mm-hmm. And just, it, and it wasn't even just through all the lines he spoke. There was just little subtle moments where kind of he, these facial expressions or there would just be, you, you know, Jojo would look over and there would be Hitler giving him a little look or a little wink or something like that. And, like, the poster of him doing the whole sort of, like, leap in the air, uh, like that scene is just hilarious, and just he just looks like he has fun with it. Um, and yeah, he, you know, he was was he was Korg, wasn't he? In, in you know, probably the best thing yeah. about Ragnarok. Um, and then he was the, what was the uh, the droid in Mandalorian? The sort of oh yeah, the security droid. Yeah, yeah, that was him too. Yeah, and I'm just looking here. Apparently, he's been cast in the Suicide Squad, which is interesting. Ooh. Um, and then also too, like, here's two things I didn't even know he was, uh, 
involved in. He apparently wrote the wrote and directed the mid credit scene in Doctor Strange, uncredited, and then he apparently wrote the initial screenplay for Moana. Um, <laughs> so uncredited for that. Um, and also, I, I did know this. He did direct uh, four episodes of Flight of the Concords as well. So kind of that was his first uh, television directing um, role. So yeah, it's I could have seen him get nominated. For uh, for an Oscar for it, I think better than Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Uh, well, she got the only acting nomination from this movie, and I'm not going to say that's a shame because I mean, although I think the acting's great, I don't feel like it's on level with some of the other stuff we've gone through so far. But overall, six nominations for the movie. So there's Best Picture, uh, no Taika Waititi for Best uh, Director, but he did get screenplay, Scarlett Johansson for supporting actress, production design, costume design, and editing. Does it really have a shot at any of these? I feel like this is another one that could end up with nothing at the end of the night. You know, maybe there's a possibility for costume design or production design, but I already feel like there's other favorites in those categories. I think that this adapted screenplay may be a possibility. I think that might be the closest one it has a shot at. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I think, but sadly, it's probably going to go to Little Women. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I almost feel this is one of those movies where it is honestly, the win was getting six nominations. I think that as you know, there are sometimes movies that honestly are never going to win anything, but the fact that they can put on a movie poster, you know, six Academy Award nominations, that's going to sell it enough. And, and again, like, you know, for a, for a country like New Zealand, I realize this technically isn't a New Zealand film, um, but Again, they're, they're so proud here of Taika Waititi. They're so proud that this movie got as many nominations as it did. And I, I think that's enough. And I think that's a, that's a big deal for, you know, such a small country like New Zealand that they can have a, have a guy from that country produce a movie like this that's going on to get at least just that recognition. So I, I'd be thrilled if this, this walked away with one Oscar. Uh, please beat Little Women in adapted screenplay. Please do it. Yeah. Or costume design or anything. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, so... What are we going to do with this one? Are we going to buy it, rent it, or bin it? Um, I, I, I think that this is definitely a buy for me. I'm definitely interested in seeing the movie again. I, I don't feel as wowed as I did by, you know, the first three that we covered. But, uh, you know, I think it's still somewhere in the mix, somewhere in the middle. Having said that, I've yet to see, I think, two of the movies. I've seen all the others. But I, this is somewhere in the middle for me out of the best pictures. But uh, we'll do the rankings after that. But buy, rent, or bin. I'm still buying this movie. Um, you, you know, I can't, I can't not. Like, I feel like, as you said, this is one that I would rewatch again. Uh, whereas some of the ones I've already covered and I've, I've bought, I, I wouldn't necessarily buy, uh, watch again. So, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely got rewatch value. It was definitely enjoyable. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's a buy from me. Uh, and I think based on the rankings right now, uh, I would have this third. Uh, so just ahead of the Irishman, but below Marriage Story and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So um, that's where we are right now. But yeah, no, bye. Yeah, I mean, same for me. It's going to be third. It's ahead of Irishman. Uh, I think our only difference at this point is you have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood one, and I have Marriage Story one. Yep. Is that right? No, you're, you're correct. Yes. And we still got many more to go. We've got uh, a big one coming up next. Our bottom Little film. Women. I mean, what? <laughs> um funny enough with little woman i'm I'm gonna save my opinion for tomorrow i'm just gonna say i don't hate the movie uh go away i'm gonna say i'm going to say in uh i guess to give it some context because there's people are gonna be like oh you know this is this is uh sexist or whatever 
I'm not the audience for this movie, and it is not, you know, because it is Little Women or as a female, you know, fronted movie. It, it's simply because we were scanning through Netflix the other day, and I every once in a while when I'll sort of look through mine and I can't find something that both of us can watch, I'll see what's on Jamie's profile, and I'm scanning through and I see some movie. I don't even know what it was. It was just some some unknown movie. And all I see is like the still image of people in period costumes. And I'm like, what's this? This looks boring. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's just, it's not what I'm into. Now, having said that, I think there are some good things about this movie. Uh, but uh, most importantly, I think the funniest thing about this was that Jamie almost ordered me to watch the 1994 Little Women before I was allowed to review this. Oh, and then man. I reminded her, we've got only a few days before the Oscars. And I certainly don't have time, especially if I've got three or four other Best Picture nominated movies to watch. So uh, I'm going to come into this having only seen this as Little Women and knowing nothing else about it. There's always one every year, isn't there? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I thought this year was going to be the year that finally we could say all of them were good. Because I, I went into this thinking it can't be as boring as bad as the 94 version, right? Surely <laughs> they've updated it. But then I watched this movie. Uh, <laughs> The positive, I made it through the whole thing. Um, All right. I didn't give up like the favorite. Um, <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'll talk about it tomorrow. <laughs> All right. Uh, stay tuned for tomorrow for Little Women and then all the other Best Picture nominated movies after that. Uh, re- I guess capping it off with a bit of a preview episode uh, right before the Academy Awards. We could do our predictions on everything and we can guess what Little Women will or won't win. Uh, (laughs) We'll get to that tomorrow. So as always, make sure to uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcast, Spotify. I think we're on there. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Stay tuned for more Oscar stuff. There's good stuff to come, people. Don't worry. My name is Hal Colin. Hal Colin. Hal Colin. (laughs) Hal Colin. That's a tongue twister. Hal Colin. (laughs) And my name is Ben. Now get your things together, kids. It's time to burn some books. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.